0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Welcome to the official podcast of the Milwaukee Brewers. This is Brewers on Tap. Here's the pitch. A cover! It's time to tap the keg with Lane Grindle.
2: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Brewers on Tap. Lane Grindle with you as the crew still in the midst of this road trip, getting set to start up a three-game series to wrap up the road trip tonight against the Pittsburgh Pirates. The crew's had a good road trip so far, taking 3 of 4 from the Cubs in Chicago. Had that day off on Monday, of course. And then the Brewers uh, dropping two out of three to the Twins. But what a great series it was, a 12-inning affair On Tuesday night, that ended up going the Twins' way, and then the Brewers getting a lopsided win on Wednesday, and then the tables turned, of course, on Thursday, where the Twins pulled away late, ended up winning the series two out of three. The crew sits at 11-12. and They're right in the mix, though, in the NL postseason picture. Of course, we're getting closer to that trade deadline as well at the end of August. That's not that far away anymore, and so there's a lot of moving pieces and a lot that's going to happen over let's say the next 10 days should be kind of fun should be kind of exciting I know we're excited about it so the Brewers with the Pirates this weekend then they come back home for a long homestand and we're almost halfway through the season already isn't that kind of crazy we, we talk to you every Friday on this podcast right and every Friday we tell you out oh, we're this amount through the season and we were just at the 25 percent mark of the season then at the 30% mark, now we're almost at the halfway point of this season. It is a short season. There's no question about that. But the Brewers have been able to play for the most part uninterrupted. Uh, the only real issue they had was the Cardinals issue right at the beginning of the season. But then they've been able to get back in and continue to play pretty continuously since that point in time. And they've jammed a bunch of games into August. they got some off days coming up, of course, in September. Here's what we have for you on the podcast this week. We're going to talk to a a couple of different arms for the Brewers. Corbin Burns has been pitching well. We did just talk to him a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, but he gets put into the rotation on Tuesday, really pitched well. So we're going to talk to Corbin Burns about what it's like to be back in the starting rotation for the Brewers. Drew Rasmussen made his MLB debut on Wednesday night. That's pretty exciting. We're going to talk to him about how good he looked in his MLB debut, two scoreless innings for the right-handed fireballer for the Brewers. And, of course, we're going to let you listen in on a little bit of our conversation from Monday night's Clubhouse Conversations with former Brewers GM Doug Melvin. That's all coming your way here on the podcast. going to be a little lengthier this week, and we're good with that. We're going to have some fun. So sit back and enjoy. Let's start with our Clubhouse Conversations and let you hear a snippet of my chat with Doug Melvin from last Monday night. When you got done playing, did you always know when you were done playing, you wanted to be in the front office? You wanted to be somebody that was, was making moves and evaluating players and being part of the development process?
1: Well, growing up, I grew up in a small town in Canada, Chatham, Ontario. Be, I was a big Detroit Tigers fan, and I always wanted to be Ernie Harwell. Uh, I listened to him, and I wanted to be a radio broadcaster. And as I was playing Little League ball, Ferguson Jenkins was from our hometown in Chatham, yeah. small town of 30,000 people. And when Fergie started becoming the star player, Hall of Fame player, he did, then I really gravitated to thinking, boy, I'd love to maybe play pro ball someday. And I signed a contract for $1,000. At that time, there wasn't a lot of Canadians' uh, opportunities to go and play baseball. So I jumped on that and uh, I signed with the Pirates. I played with the Yankees for four years, but... about the fourth year of playing i realized that i probably in a self-evaluation understood that to myself i probably wasn't going to make the major leagues if i wanted to continue to play minor league ball and i made that decision uh after six years of playing um i went to the farm director and jack butterfield his his son brian is a third base coach i think with the angels now but Jack was a farm director and I just said, Jack, I think I'm ready to hang it up, uh, but I want to make sure. Will you confirm I'm not a major league player? And he confirmed it. So, <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and then at that point, uh, my wife and I, Ellen, and I got married. We moved mm-hmm. to Canada and Jack called me a few months later and said, Doug, we'd like to have you come back. And uh, if you're interested in George Steinbrenner is creating a job called the Eye in the Sky. And uh, at that point, I, w- I went back. I threw batting practice for the Yankees and then did defensive charts. And I was, had a walkie-talkie up in the, in the press box area um, and down to Yogi Berra in the dugout, who was a bench coach, and we would defense uh, the outfielders that way. But because uh, George Steinbrenner was big into football. He was a big football guy. And he always said, how come football has coordinators upstairs and they can see the view of the field? Baseball doesn't do it. So we were the first team to do that. That was back in 1979. Uh, the eye in the sky. Now I don't. They, they don't have it anymore. They wouldn't allow that. They don't allow iPad. I guess they do allow iPads and dugouts now. I'm not sure. But uh, back then, we were the first team to do it, and then uh, we did it for about five years, and then uh, they put out that we couldn't do it anymore. But anyway, that's how I got started, and uh, very fortunate to be with the Yankees, and then became a scouting director and. realized i wanted to be into the player personnel part of the part of the game
2: i when you were explaining that i was like that just sounds like a football coach up in the in the skybox yeah Yeah. you know looking down on the field and 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 trying to figure out you know who's cheating where and where where, where we might be able to get an advantage and so yeah and it's not shocking that george steinbrenner would would come (laughs) up with a position like that he was a big football guy and And so that's that's not a shock at all. Uh, You, you went on, you were with Baltimore for a little bit. Then of course you become the the general manager in Texas. And, and I read where you talked about like you become the GM and you think you're going to be dealing with all this personnel stuff, but you you forget that there's all these other things you have to deal with. And Kenny Rogers had just thrown a perfect game and there was a debate of whether he gets the Jersey or the club gets the Jersey. Those (laughs) are types of things you don't think about, right? You don't think you're going to be in the middle of those kind of conversations when you're the general manager, but those were kind of, some of the oddities that you had to deal with
1: yeah my first year as a general manager with texas was in in 94 and and that incident happened where kenny threw the 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 no hitter and you know i said wow he said i didn't know these kind of things would happen as a general manager but that was he he, i remember sitting down he and his wife and uh, scott boris was the agent at the time and we had a museum in the ballpark, and the the team wanted to keep the jersey and have a uh, display in the in the museum in the ballpark, and Kenny wanted it. So tough calls, you know. Those are all tough calls, same as uh, the final out in a World Series, you know. Right. I always see whoever gets that final out sneaks that ball in their back pocket. <laughs> but uh, between that, that was the first, t- uh, first thing that came up. And then my first year as a general manager, we had replacement uh, teams because they were on strike that year. Yeah. And so we had to put a replacement team together that first year. And that's not the kind of thing that I really wanted to get into, but we had to do it and uh, it was challenging and, and that. But when I went to Texas, it was very similar to when I went into Milwaukee. They had not been to the playoffs in 25 years. The same number as Milwaukee had not been in the playoffs in 25 years. So there were some similarities uh, in Texas and to when I got the job in Milwaukee. I do think the Texas roster probably had more uh, bona fide major league star players on it than when I went into Milwaukee in 2003 or 4. Uh, at that time, it was it was more of a rebuilding. Texas was more of just getting to the playoffs because we had some talented players with Pudge Rodriguez and Juan Gonzalez and Rusty Greer and, and uh, a very town. They had some very good talent, Kenny Rogers, Darren Oliver, but we just had to put in some pieces and, and try to get to the playoffs. But the the similarities of not being in the playoffs in 25 years uh, was very exciting for me in Texas when we got there in 1996 and three out of the next four years. But we ran into a big Yankee squad. That was the dynasty team that they had in Jeter's rookie year and Mariana Rivera and that. So it was a good time in Texas, but I've spent most of my baseball career now in
2: Milwaukee. Absolutely. And as you said, a lot of parallels in, in the fact that neither organization had been to the postseason in 25 years. You went three times with the Rangers and then you come to, to Milwaukee and you start building it. And everybody was really thirsty for that, that next postseason um, birth for the Brewers. And, and, and you're able to accomplish that in 2008. And I think any time anybody talks about Doug Melvin's time with the Brewers, they talk about the lun- longevity they talk about the two playoff uh, berths for sure, but they all talk about the trade, and everybody knows what the trade was. And I'm not sure there's ever been a trade that has worked out so well uh, in its history as the CC Sabathia trade. And I know you've been asked about it a million times. We're going to ask you about it again tonight. Just the 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 genesis, the evolution of that trade, how it came together. And you were able to make it earlier. It wasn't at the dead, dead deadline. You were able to get more out of that trade because you were able to make it uh, much earlier in the season or you know, about a month out, actually, from the deadline. And so you are able to get all those extra starts from CC CeCe Sabathia. and Of course, he went on short rest so often as well. But how did that trade come about? How long did it take to finally get it into place?
1: Yeah, well, the reason for wanting to do the trade a month before the end of the deadline is because we're dealing with a starting pitcher. If we were dealing with a positional player, it might not have pushed it that uh, hard because the, the positional player is playing every day. But I mentioned to Mark Shapiro, I said, Mark, I know this deal is going to cost me in players, and I'd be willing to give up uh, probably a little better deal by getting CC, you know, a month earlier. And I knew they were very interested in uh, Matt Laporta, who was our first-round pick the year before. And Matt was a, a good college hitter. And uh, he was the the number one player that was put on the table immediately to try to pique their interest. Whenever you're making a trade with a team, I always felt that if you were serious about making a trade, you got to put a player on the table to pique their interest. Otherwise, they'll feel you're you're just uh, sort of doing some research, trying to get nosy and finding out what's happening. But uh, Laporta did pique their interest at that time. And that, and so uh, we continued talking I think it came together fairly quick. I don't think it was something that took three, four weeks. I think it was Mm -hmm. probably a seven to 10 day period. And I know they were talking to the Dodgers too. And then uh, the interesting part of the deal that I I just talked to Ken Rosenthal asked me about it uh, two weeks ago, I guess. He called me, he wanted to uh, go over that trade again, but it was when uh, we had player to be named later, Mark and I, I know he had interest in both Michael Brantley and in, uh, um, Taylor Green, between the two of them, and they were both very good players. If you look them up, they both had really good years in Double A. And uh, I really uh, Brantley was probably the guy we didn't want to give up at that time, uh, but we did like Taylor Green a lot too. But uh, Michael was a, a year or so younger. But what we decided on, as I said to Mark, how about if we do this? If we go, to, if CC takes us to the playoffs, you get the choice of the two players and if we don't get to the playoffs, then I get the choice of Taylor Green or Brantley to go to you, and then we'll keep the other one, and that sort of closed the deal for us. There was a, you know, two other players, Zach Jackson involved, and then uh, Rob Bryson was another player that was on a list of three or four players, and I think LaCroix was on that list of players, but they chose Rob Bryson, a young right-handed pitcher who had a good arm, so that's how that deal materialized, and you know, I think that was I surprised that we were able to get CC. I, I did feel there was momentum to the deal uh, when La- with Laporta and uh, the possibility of Taylor Green or Michael Brantley. And Zach Jackson was one of our top draft picks too at that time. So I felt there was momentum to it. Uh, but when we made the deal, it, uh, it just uh, – deals in July elevate your clubhouse atmosphere. I think sometimes teams sort of expect it any anymore. But some years you just can't make a deal. It doesn't happen for certain reasons. But uh, that, that's the deal. CC walking in the clubhouse and he came in and was with us the next night. And you could see the energy in the clubhouse just picked up so dramatically when he came aboard. And then watching his performance was just unbelievable. I, there was nobody that expected that kind of performance that he gave us.
2: Okay, Doug Melvin, a big thanks to him, of course. And a a reminder, Clubhouse Conversations comes your way every Monday night. It's now streamed on brewers.com, so you can watch it this coming Monday night on brewers.com. And I'll be talking to former brewer Richie Sexton. It'll be at 6 o'clock Central Time. It's going to be fun, and we're excited about it. So you can watch it on brewers.com. You can also check it out via the Zoom link that we've tweeted out uh, you know, it's hard to kind of give you a Zoom link, obviously, over audio. I, I can't give you all the different <laughs> symbols and letters and everything else that are in that link. But if you go back on the Brewers' Twitter account, we've linked that same uh, Zoom link. If you want to get in, and you can ask some questions that way as well. We hope we can count on you to be with us on Monday night. It'll be about an hour before first pitch on Monday night uh, with Richie Sexon and myself all right we have more coming your way here let's uh talk about corbin burns elite arm special talent and we had a chance to sit down with him after his start on tuesday to talk about what it's like to be back in the rotation bronze sends it to left center and deep get up!
3: time to catch up with the crew
2: felt like you were very comfortable from the start Corbin did it feel that way to you as well
3: yeah yeah definitely um you know we had a pre- pretty good plan going out there um you know we knew they were going to swing the bat and um so we put something together you know pre-game and you know Omer did a great job of falling along with that and um you know we were able stay pretty pretty efficient there for the first four innings then uh, things started to get away from us a little bit there in the fifth um you know, one, one bad pitch to arrive is pretty good pitches to know he got to the, through the infield. But um, other than that, just two walks. But we are able to uh, to get out of the fifth with only one run there.
2: Corbin, you mixed your curveball in a lot last night. It felt like maybe even a little bit more than you have previously this season. Was that about the matchup with the Twins? Or is it a pitch that you're starting to develop a little bit more confidence in?
3: Uh, it's a little bit of both. Um you know, we, we wanted something, you know, as far as the Cubs and the Twins went, uh, something to, to get those guys to chase below the zone. Um, and so with the, the best pitch for us to do that was going to be the curveball. Um, yeah, I've had a pretty good one in the past. So we, we tinkered with a little bit to, uh, to get it where we wanted to. And then, um, you know, it, it worked out just the way, the way the Twins matched up with some pretty heavy uh, chase rates that, uh, you know, it's, it's something that is, is continuing to be developed and something we think it's going to be a good pitch for me in the future.
2: Corbin Burns is with us here on the on deck show built by Menards Corbin, you are a competitor. You always have been, it feels like you're really locked in right now. Um, from a competitive standpoint, you're, you're into every single pitch. How much of that was, was worked on this winter coming into to the season?
3: Yeah, I've, I've always been a you know, pretty competitive guy on the mound, um, whether it be, you know, out of the bullpen, in the rotation or whatever it may be. So, um, you know, the, the even, having developed the, uh, the pitches to, to have that rot- um, the, your repertoire to be in the rotation, um, it was just about refining, you know, the mental side of it and make sure the mechanics were there. The competitive's always going to be there. So, um, you know, I was able to, to kind of put everything together with the mental side of it this offseason. And, um, you know, based off, you know, what we've got this year in the last couple of outings, I think, uh, I think we're in a really good position and really close for, for everything to uh, come together.
2: How glad are you that you're in the rotation? I know you're glad to take the ball whenever and help this team, but at the same time that, that you got an opportunity to start on, on Tuesday night, you performed well, and I, that had to be a goal of yours coming into this year, right?
3: Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, my goal ever since I've you know, gotten into pro ball is, to, is to, be a, to be a guy that takes the ball every five days. Um, you know, I think I've got the stuff to do it, and I think that's where I'm best fitted to help out. You know, This team is, is to go as deep as I can every five days. Um you know, it's something that we, we worked on hard this this off season. I know the the Brewers want that for me. You know, more than anything is to is to to be in that rotation and do what I can to help out. So it's it's uh, just about you know refining some of the pitches, refining the mechanics. Um, you know, everything's right there. It's just all right in front of me now. And now it's just to go out there and uh, you know, keep working on things. And yeah, I think like I said, I think it's it's really close to being where we want it to be.
2: Corbin, when you were not in the rotation, you were really valuable as one of those middle relief guys that could go throw four innings, maybe even five innings in in, in one occasion uh, out of the bullpen. Freddie Peralta's been really good uh, in that same kind of role. Brent Suter has been really good in that same type of role. How important do you think that is in a season like this where every game matters so much to be able to come in, even if the team's down by a run or two, keep it there and give the offense a chance to go to work against the other team's bullpen?
3: Yeah, I mean, in a sixty-game season like this, every game, every inning is important. So, um, you know, to have guys that can to can eat up, you know, the the middle chunk innings from you know the fourth to the seventh, you know, whatever it may be, to hand the ball to to hit it at the back end of the game, um, it's definitely beneficial. Um, you know, with the expanded rosters this year, having having a couple extra pitchers, um, you can have have some more of that tandem um, type of type of type of outings and um, you know more some more matchup stuff, but. I mean, this, those those innings four through seven are what you know what keep a team in a ball game, whether it's you know down one or two runs, up one or two runs. To to have someone that can go out there and give you you know three, maybe four or five innings um, to keep you in the game, and you know just you know waiting for that big hit or whatever it may be, to, and then to uh, give the ball to Hader. it's it's very beneficial that uh, we have that with with our team.
2: Well, it's been a great start to the season for you, Corbin. Keep it going. We appreciate you giving us the time here today, and we'll talk to you again down the road soon.
3: Awesome. Thank you.
2: Big thanks to Corbin Burns for joining us here on Brewers on Tap. Always fun when a guy makes his debut. A little unorthodox when he makes his debut and there's no fans. But the Brewers have been really excited about Drew Rasmussen since the minute they took him in the sixth round of the 2018 amateur draft. He turned a lot of heads a year ago. He rose up through the ranks from A to high A to double A. A lot of strikeouts along the way. Big-time velo. He can hit triple digits with that fastball. And we had a chance to talk to Drew Rasmussen about that debut of two innings, two scoreless innings at Target Field in Minneapolis.
1: Let's break it down.
2: This has to be really fun to now sit back, kind of process it, and realize, man, it all happened because you've been through so much to get to this point.
0: Uh, yeah I mean you know as I see it everyone everyone has struggles in life and everyone has struggles getting you know getting to where they are I, I, and, and I mean you can speak to people who do it quickly at a young age you know they, they, they've got pressures and different and different issues going on in their life that I wouldn't understand and some people aren't going to understand what I've been through but uh, you know I think making your debut is a special moment for anyone no matter what they've had to overcome or whatever they've had you know happen happen off the field and, and so, uh, last night was pretty special and, and, and now I look forward just getting back to baseball.
2: You've been drafted three times. Um, the, the second time was the 31st overall pick. Uh, you ended up not signing. Then you have your second Tommy John. You missed the 2018 season. Brewers drafted you in the sixth round, which some people might have thought was a little bit of a risk, but they had done their due diligence on you. They felt like you were going to be fine and obviously, they're the ones laughing at everybody else now because it has worked out really well. What was it like the second time you went through Tommy John surgery and the rehab process? Was it easier because you knew what you were getting into or was it harder because you knew what you were getting into?
0: I was going to say, unfortunately, I think the second time, uh, especially, you know, I wasn't even two years out when I had my second one and, uh, I think physically, the first one was harder. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what I was about to feel. But mentally, the second one uh, posed a lot more of a challenge. And, and you know, it's, it's, it was tough to stay on, on, on track and, and, and mentally stay right. And, and there were some struggles and some bumps in the road that, that were very frustrating. And, and, but to, to overcome them, you know, I think, I think I've gone through the worst of it that baseball can throw at me right now. And, and so, you know, I'm ready to move forward and, and, and get my career going.
2: Take me through your emotions last night as you're warming up in the top of the seventh, knowing you're going to get the bottom of the seventh and you're going to make your debut. What's going through your mind at that point in time? And you've already referenced that Manny Pena, when he got to the mound, gave you one of those great speeches that kind of settled you in and locked you in to your outing. What was that experience like for you?
0: Yeah, um, just down in the bullpen, I was shocked at, uh, you know, there were zero nerves, zero butterflies. I was sitting there, you know, telling myself, Hey, just breathe, relax. And, and I'd thrown about three or four pitches in the pen. And I said, you know, like breathe, relax. Like I feel fine. There's, there's, there's not really anything going on. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, out number one happens and a, a little bit more, uh, adrenaline kind of hit me. And, and, uh but was able to settle down again and out number two and then out number three felt like it happened really fast and, and i couldn't even tell you how many pitches there were in the at bat i couldn't tell you uh how the out was recorded like i said i thought it happened just really quickly um and all at once i i, I got off the bullpen mound and i started to head uh, down the ramp towards the field and, and that's when i was like oh you know this is this is kind of what i was thinking about you know when i was telling myself hey you need to breathe you need to relax um and then when I hit the mound, man, Manny, Manny came out and he took great care of me. And, and, and first of all, he congratulated me. It was the first thing he did, uh, which was pretty special. And he told me to take it all in, even though there aren't fans, even though it's a different year, you know, like it's still quite the accomplishment. And, and so take it in and, and enjoy the moment. Uh, and then he said, you know, like, you know, I'll, I'm going to take care of you. I'll take really good care of you. And, and and having that trust and that faith with, with whoever your battery mate is there is, is huge. And so, you know, He he was able to come out and uh, make me feel comfortable, even though we're, you know, on the road in a different park, never been here, never pitched here. And and like I said, he was able to settle me down and, 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 and help me feel comfortable in my first outing.
2: Drew Rasmussen, he made his debut last night, and he turned a lot of heads with his performance. Two scoreless innings last night against a really good lineup in the Minnesota Twins. Drew, we appreciate it. Congratulations to you, and we'll talk to you again soon sounds great thank you very much big thanks to drew rasmussen for being with us on the podcast this week that is going to do it for this week's edition of brewers on tap we appreciate you for tuning in and we'll be back with you next week as the brewers will be in the midst of a homestand should be a lot of fun we're looking forward to it have a great one stay healthy everybody i'm Lane Grindle.